the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. And now a word from one of our Bible Live sponsors. Our company is so proud and excited to sponsor the Bible Live. As a businessman, I have to make decisions every day about how to best invest time, personnel, and resources for the best return and results. The scriptures say there are two things on earth that will last forever, God's Word and the souls of people. It's my hope that you, your family, your church, and perhaps even your business will pray about giving a tax-deductible donation to the Bible Live at this time. Together, let's expand this historic broadcast of the scriptures to other cities across our nation, a sound investment for both time and eternity. You can donate by credit card at the Bible Live website www.thebiblelive.com or mail your check for the Bible Live to P.O. Box 18888. That's P.O. Box 18888, San Antonio, Texas 78218. Welcome to the Bible Live Quiz Hour. It's time to test and grow your knowledge of the Bible. The entire Bible every year. On Sunday nights at 9, join us here for the Bible Live Quiz Hour. Sophie will ask questions from the Bible Live leads. You call in with the correct answers, and you win. It's just that simple. So get out your Bible, put on your thinking cap, and hit that speed dial. Because here's the host of the Bible Live. Your Apache Indian scout through the book of books, Sophie Dollar. Good evening, my friends. Good to hear from you this evening. Are you there, Jacob? Jacob is in the... I am. Uh, I am here. All right. Here, sir. That's why I answered up for many, many years living at the boys' home. My, my laundry number was 87, and so I, I would, every time I heard that number, I go, here, sir. I'm here. I'm here. Uh, hello, everybody. <laughs> I don't know. You get a number. You get a number when you're five years old, mm-hmm. and that's your identity for twelve years. I don't know. It just stays with Do you. Do you somehow. still remember your first phone number when you were a child? No, I never. We didn't have phones. But what do you? What? Yeah, yours? I still remember my very first phone number when I was under five years old. Be, I remember our first address too. Mm-hmm. Well, that has something to do with your age. I discovered that uh, I, I don't really know how old you are, but your Social Security number is 14, right? Well, I do have an original poster from The Last Supper. Uh, <laughs> well, there you go. That's our intro to the <laughs> I, Hey, can I get out of a couple of housekeeping chores? Please do. Yes. Uh, first of all, uh, there is a gentleman known to you and I, and I told him tonight, because we're talking, finishing up the book of Luke, that I would tell him, because the Pharisees actually saved Jesus' life on more than one occasion. Uh, and one we know about is uh, Luke 
let's see, 1331. It says, hey, get out of here. They're going to kill you. So the Pharisees save him. There's a couple other places in Luke. And what I did tonight, Sophie, and that's why I want to get the housekeeping out of the way, is uh-huh. the gentleman is probably listening. And I would like him to know. I, wa- I wrote it down, and I walked out without the uh, New Testament, which has the book of Luke. And I only brought the book of Samuel tonight because we're also starting Samuel. For Samuel, yes. So we'll have to rely on you. So to the gentleman who was wanting me to give you the other spots, I will have to make it up to you, but not tonight, because I walked out without it. Oh, but all right. I didn't. Yeah, I recall way, a couple you, of those did, did you know? Uh, did you know the Pharisees actually saved Jesus? A few times? Yes, I did. I actually knew that on a couple of occasions they um, warned him, told him, get out. There was, an, I, I know, Gamaliel at one point right. with a caution. So there must have been some folks. Yeah. Well, Nicodemus was in that group, I guess. Oh, so, yeah. so there yeah. had to be some people who yeah. in there who were... Uh, kind of silently cheering, go Jesus, go Jesus. Well, they? Uh, they, you don't have to agree with somebody to be a decent person and save their life. Right. Uh, but there's a train leaving at 930 tonight. Be under it. Be under it. That's uh, that's <laughs> later on. We get thrown under the bus. Is that uh, thrown under the train, I guess? Well, we are indeed going to be talking about the last four chapters of the book of Luke. Just uh, finishing up the, the uh, that gospel Record we have from Dr. Luke, and then we are headed back to the Tanakh, to the Hebrew Scriptures, picking up where we left off at First uh, Samuel, right after the Joshua, and then the Judges, and then that little book, the little love story of Ruth, uh, the Moabitess, and now we're going into this this transition individual. He he was remarkable guy, Samuel. Just everything about him is so remarkable. If we can kind of get away from the veneer and the shine of like Bible characters and all and just take him at his um, as he is, it's just I don't know. It's just a a great story. This this man uh, is this wife that he has, Hannah, that doesn't have children and wants to have children desperately. And she prays and Eli sees her. And it's got this wonderful story in the beginning. He's he's born to them late. And then at uh, what is the age of eight? Uh, it says you're talking about when he goes over with the priest to live with Eli. Yeah, yeah uh, that actually it says when he's weaned. The best. Oh es- yeah. yeah. The, the, that's what it technically says. So the best estimates is between age two and three. Yeah, very young, very so young. He's kind of young. Taken over and raised by this uh, the prophet Eli was Eli, Eli a high priest. Well, he was a Levite. He was a Levite. I wonder what he... If and he, by the way... Sam, I think he was the high priest, wasn't he? Well, uh, he could have been. I'm not sure about okay, that. Okay, okay. But I know Samuel was a Levite also. Oh, Samuel was. Yes, uh, okay, so Elkanah and uh, uh, Hannah were they Levites. They were from the tribe of Levi, yes, sir. Well, that helps a little bit uh, to me. It does. Uh, a little bit. explains quite a bit. But uh, So we have this transition person, Levi, uh, Samuel, I'm sorry, who moves... Uh, from he actually transitions Israel from uh, what from uh, a monarchy from uh-huh. from a, from a yeah. uh, theocracy uh-huh. to a monarchy I guess he does he's responsible for establishing kingship kingship and also he transitions from the time of uh, 
the priest to the times mm-hmm. of the prophets, I guess. Well, uh, or would you say this, seers? during his time period mm-hmm. is when, because uh, everybody hears this word seer known in the mm-hmm. Old Testament, the Tanakh, and it's actually during his period where the word seer or the meaning of the word seer stops and the prophets begin. So there must be some kind of difference that we ought to kind of get in our head between what is a seer and what is a prophet. I've always been kind of curious about that, and I think maybe Actually, you have Actually, it's in the book of Samuel, believe it or not. It tells oh, us. It tells us. Very good, very good. Well, there we are. We're going to look at Luke and just briefly tonight to kind of finish oh, up. Oh, you know what, Soapy? Uh-huh. Somebody could call in. That that's uh, that is a fact. If I would just and give them the phone. Do they have a number? number? Do you happen to have a number? I do have a number they could call. The area code is two ten. Area code two ten three four zero ninety five eighty five. That's the way you can uh, be a part of the Bible Live program this evening. Three four zero. Ninety-five, eighty-five. So give us a call. We also had last week a caller late in the program that too late to be on the air, but wanted to know when you, uh, I think more the idea of in our times today, like when you're a believer, you're trying to follow uh, the Lord, you're trying to walk with God and do things right. And the idea is that you uh, you, you take to God a question about uh, a certain behavior or a certain thing that you want to do in your life. And, and the caller asks, well, how do you know, how can we, how do we know with any kind of assurance that it's God? You know, did, it is not just uh, remember, our own imagination. Do you remember the name of that caller? The only, I believe that was Renee. That was Renee. Later yeah. on, and she so called a couple times, and she got a hold of us after the show, and she was asking that particular okay. question. Okay. Yeah. So uh, maybe we want to address that now, or maybe we can talk about that well, during either the, time, either time. It comes up in the the whole topic of of a of a prophet as well, right? Or a seer. How do you know? How do you know it's God talking through this person or about this uh, situation? So we can talk about that during the evening as well. How do we know? Uh, and in it, a very loose way, it kind of connects with the distinction between seer and prophet. Okay, interesting, interesting. Well, our phone number is 210-340-9585. So um, I guess, you know... <laughs> this crazy, crazy You know, i got to tell you, not to interrupt you, please go back, but uh-huh. John, when we were talking about Sears, John wrote up a, a sign, held it up. He's, you know, the guy that's making Sears and Roebuck, I yeah. guess. Well, no, no. He I was can talking, guess. He, sa- he says, I'm a door. And then I realized he was misspelling it. He meant doer. <laughs> Yes. And, uh, and, then, uh, uh, and then he says, and he says, how can you know it's God? And he just held up another sign that says, because he looks like George Burns. There you go. Well, that is about as deep as uh, John's theology goes, I think. Yeah. That's it's the shallow end of the pool, you must say. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure he's made it into the pool yet, actually. But anyway, we, we want to talk about that, uh, Samuel and all. Let's, let's spend a little time with Lucas here. Uh, uh, we want to finish up the gospel. Of course, we don't want to finish with uh, the just simply the crucifixion, uh, but we want to move on and talk about uh, the resurrection, which is coming up in some weeks, the celebration of Isn't uh, Easter coming up uh, at the end of this month? Exactly. So that's yeah, what, what day does it. Easter occur on? Do you have any idea? No, I don't. Passover? Uh, no. Uh, oh, is that what you're going for? What? Uh, yeah, 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 exactly. I think this this uh, this year, I think uh, Passover weekend is the same weekend of Easter weekend. I think. Is that right? I think. Well, I got it right then. 
Well, of course you did. <laughs> uh, oh, gosh. What does Samuel's name you mean? Get Why no did you respect name? here. Okay, well. Uh, John is... says Easter is April 1st. Okay. And uh, actually, uh, March 30th is Passover. So it's in, within a couple of days this year. Okay. So uh, let's let's take a look at the the book of Luke. Uh, there's some some other stories told toward the end there. Uh, we, we talk about there's that nice little story about this poor lady who gave who gave everything she had. She put two pennies into the uh, two lepta. I understand what they were called. Yeah, the I, smallest. Think, I think they, well, I know they translate because they have difficult difficulty translating it but why would she do such a thing now i did not bring as i said earlier on i forgot that book of luke uh-huh. i only brought the right. book it's of samuel right. but uh, so i'll do this by ear and you can correct me where i'm wrong mm-hmm. and uh you can start anytime the uh the <laughs> you're wrong <laughs> is, uh, um but why what why is that story there about some say she puts in two bits two pennies you know something like that and, uh, but what they're trying to talk about a very small coin aren't they right of course and yeah. now why would jesus say oh well whatever this is told though she'll be remembered why would he say that because um well, see, here we come back to this whole thing that we just re- read it right on the surface. And to us, it's a, I mean, to us, I to mean, us. to those who just read it first time, superficially read the story. It's a precious little tale of a, of a lady who loves God and she's poor, but she, but she gives everything she has. And Jesus makes a point. Uh, this woman is given more than all the others because she gave everything she had. She didn't, you know, it's not just a tenth or not just a portion of what she has, but she gave her all. And we all go, oh, that's so nice. That's so, and it uh-huh. is. It's a very lovely sentiment and a very nice story. Now, you're well, going to. Because it says you're uh, gonna she gave it, it out for, of her poverty. Right? Yeah, you're going to ruin it for us all and give it another meaning, right? Uh, a deeper, the deeper meaning of the deeper meaning. In well, that I don't know if I'm going to ruin it, but I'm, <laughs> I'm certainly going to make the bridge there. Okay, let's go. Um, is there any time you can think of that God commanded the Jews to give the smallest coin in the Jewish realm, in the Jewish kingdom, uh, to the temple? Dun, dun, wasn't dun, dun, I mean, there was a a temple uh, was it temple tax or was temple, it no no not tabernacle that's no, way back in Exodus okay yeah. it is a tabernacle thing it is a tabernacle thing and they are hey, each the thing is all right yeah it's because uh, the smallest coin and that's why they translated two bits two coins two pennies whatever I've seen it always but it's a half shekel uh-huh. it's a little tiny thing okay now why half shekel. Because if you read it in the book of Exodus, it says that it's forbidden by God to count Jews. Oh, uh, that's it's true. actually yeah. technically forbidden to count human beings. You cannot reduce them to a number. So if you want to be remembered and always included in the membership of, let's say, whether you're a, if you're uh, a non-Jew or Jew, you want to be included, you give a half shekel, then the half shekels are counted. And then you will always be remembered among the nation of Israel. And that's what it says. Oh, that kind of, it's kind of like, you know, since you can't count the people, then you count, the you count their feet, just, you count their feet and divide by a, two. Right? There, there is a <laughs> Something restriction like that. on that rule, which is fascinating. Uh-huh. It says no matter how poor or how rich can only be a half shekel. Do you know why? 
Uh, no. Okay. I would like to share. It's because if it's a very, it's like giving a half penny, shall we say. Uh-huh. So if I give that, and that's going to be counted. And let's suppose somebody has ten million bucks, and they have can only they're restricted to the same amount. That way, nobody can say, "Look, I gave more to support this temple than any, than you did." And nobody can contribute no more. And nobody can contribute less. Everybody is equal before God. So they don't have a uh, a Jacob room in the temple to, because you gave a, a big amount of money. We didn't say anything about rooms. We are talking about how you included in the nation of Israel. I, I know. Temple. I was... So, but all joking aside, um, but so that everyone, a rich person, a poorest person, uh-huh. gives that little tiny piece of money. And it's the money that's counted. You remember the prohibition where David gets in trouble by doing a census? Yes, right? I remember and that. And Joab, mm-hmm. who I always thought would make a great movie. Uh, that's, oh, yeah, it would. That would be the movie, because if it wasn't for him, David wouldn't have got all the stuff he got. But at any rate, uh, so remember, David gets in trouble for a census. Why? Because he's counting people. People are not numbers. Uh-huh. People are human beings. Things are numbers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, there's an old Texas joke about something like that, but the, to transition it, it would the key to a, a Jewish census would be count their feet and divide by two. That would be the idea. And what you have here, <laughs> you don't count the people, you just count their feet. Uh, you know, there there is somebody that John is just waving I know, he's telling you. He wants to tell somebody, he wants to answer a question. All right, well, let's do that. Harold is on the line, and he wants to answer a question. Uh, Harold, are you going to answer the question about the coins, or are you going to answer the question about how do we know it's God? Oh, well, by faith we know it's God. Okay, that's a good answer, but by faith in what? Well, that's what the Bible says. That's I know. actually in the Bible. I just had the verse. Okay. Uh, well, actually, I called because I was going to... Jacob had said, uh, would you like to know why... Uh, you know, about the coins and all that stuff. Sure. Everybody liked to call. So I called in, but he said exactly the same thing I was going to say because uh, I probably heard it somewhere. Well, he must be right. You must have told him, and that's how he knew, I'm guessing. That, yeah, I called him earlier. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> well, so that, kidding. That, that doesn't steal, though. I mean, steal. That doesn't take away... I don't think the very simple lesson no, that we get not. from it. I mean, she's well, she's being included. Yes, uh huh. But you're yeah, saying well, she gave mm-hmm. the two left us. She gave the two, and so she'll be remembered always because she's in the census. I mean, that's how she's counted, right? And that's we well, always say I, she's remembered because he told that story about her. Yeah, right. Yes, and other people think that she's remembered, and the preachers say a lot. You know, radio. That they make that they use that uh, I'm going to say excuse, but they use that in apology to to say that this woman gave all she had, and in today's thinking in church, you can never give enough, and they use that wrong against their people Ooh. sitting in the in the uh, pews. And I know that I've heard it, and I didn't understand it myself, honestly. Stand back, uh, Jacob. Lightning's going to strike him. You know, we well, get too close you know, to Harold. Well, that's what happens, you know. Uh, yeah, yeah, I know. I do. I do. I really, and that's why mm-hmm. Jesus went to the temple and turned over all the tables and all that stuff because, you know, look what you did to my father's house. Yeah. It, it, know, it's um, an unfortunate, uh, it's in a very unfortunate uh, 
thing. I guess it's a real thing. I've always wondered about this, Harold. It's a real matter. I mean, giving is a very serious and wonderful joy to give and, and help and, and help others and, and invest in and, and invest in the ministry of your church and your congregation. And also, there is a side to it that is very positive and wonderful. It is a joy to be able to give. And on the other hand, when we see it abused, it just kind of steals from the whole process yeah. and robs it of its joy, you know, the positive side. Mm-hmm. You know what I heard uh, Saturday, my mother and I, we went out to eat, and there was a group of people, about eight, uh-huh. sitting next to us, and they're probably a little older than I am. Uh, I get it. They went out to eat, and they ate. They ate? Well, actually, one lady, this is also being said a lot, uh, and it says it in the Bible, Jesus is uh, saying it, and I think it's misread also, not misread, but mistaught also, and you don't have to explain it tonight if you don't want, but where it says you must lose your life. Uh, it says it about four times in the Gospels. You know, you must lose your life first before you can Gain accept it. Jesus. You know, and this lady was telling the lady who was probably, I'm trying to say, say it nicely, as old as my mother is, you know, like 82. Uh-huh. And she's telling someone that's like, I wanted to say, of course, I wouldn't say it in public, but I wanted to say, you know, she's almost there. <laughs> Are you happy now? Oh my! You know, but I've been into the so rabbi's den before. So was that I was won't say that. that was the twist? It was given that you got to die. It, is, is that the idea they were thinking of it literally? No, it's just the fact that I was trying to. You know, people aren't happy unless somebody does die. Or, and I don't think Jesus Christ wants us to lose our life. Well, it, it is there in the scriptures. What do you think it means when he yeah, says? What, what well, that's what I was going to ask you. I was going to ask Jacob. If oh, that I would don't be... know. That's beyond me, and I don't have that with me now. You better ask Soapy. <laughs> well, no, I wasn't going to ask you, but what I was going to say is, since you were talking about your book about the four Gospels, uh-huh. if that part would be included in those four Gospels in the, in the book that you are writing. That's what I'm trying to say. Good deal. You I bet it is. It now. I bet it is. It is. Okay. Yes. Uh-huh. It's in the book. Okay. Well, that's the, the answer. That's the you answer. You know, his book has over 500 pages. 576 says last That's uh, That's quite a book. I mean, that's quite a little tome right there. And uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to, I can't wait to get a chance to peek at it and yeah, learn about too. it. And, yeah. <laughs> See what you what said. What does the right? cover look like? The cover. What does the cover look like? Well, we don't know yet. I don't well, think he designed the cover yet. Well, I, I, I actually, uh, I, I have a good idea what I want to do. Uh, since mm-hmm. you're asking, thank you, Harold. That was mm-hmm. uh, I'm making the. It looked like uh, a prayer show. Huh. Ooh. Interesting that idea. Sounds pretty good. Yeah, yeah, That's yeah. pretty good. Well, thanks a lot, y'all. You, you know, I, I take up all your time. I'll. I listen to the rest of the show, and y'all be good, huh? All right, take care, my friend. Good to hear from you. That's a good question. A couple of good things there we could talk about, but um, um, what is it he wanted to know? I want to keep it in mind. It already went out of my brain. Oh, about um, about Jesus saying you must lose your life in order to gain it, and I, I don't see that as incredibly difficult to understand. So, in this context, and even as a concept, but. I tell you, these days, 
people take up expression like that and, and, and try to make all, do almost anything with it. These are times you have to really be careful, folks, uh, the, about the scriptures. You have to know the Bible, what it says, because things can be used. Things can be taken out of context very easily. And uh, we, you have to have your head on straight about this book we call the Bible. It's an amazing gift that God has given to us, uh, both Old and New Testaments. Amazing, tremendous gift we have, but we have to handle it correctly and rightly and, and uh, not abuse it in order to manipulate folks and uh, get people to do what we want them to do and so on. That's, that's the idea, I suppose. Well, let's go to the Gospel of Luke. Uh, we're coming up on... Uh, on the crucifixion, the resurrection of Jesus, uh, Paul, uh, Luke here goes into the last week of Jesus' life. Uh, he talks about several things that are very, uh, very Jewish. He talks about the the curtain in the temple. He's the one that mentions it at the crucifixion of Christ that the temple was torn from top to bottom. Um, the temple that the, the curtain that separated the holy place from the most holy place, and so on. Uh, we have those wonderful passages of scripture that Jesus quotes from the cross: "My God, My God, why have you forsaken me?" And then uh, we don't talk as much about the other one, the, the final, uh, "Father, into your hands I commit my spirit." Right. Uh, we, he says, uh, "He says this. It is. It is finished." It, yeah, it is finished. Uh, well, what does that mean? Teletelectonai is the word, I believe, but it means uh, it means Tatakaman. What did you say? The word, yeah. It's. Uh, I, I think it's finished in, the, in that he has uh, he's finished. Well, here, here's the thing that always troubles me. I mean, me. it could be just uh, he's dying, and so well, it's over. Maybe but, he's referring to dying, uh-huh. uh, but he knew he's going to die. Uh-huh. At least he told. I think he was. means that the, the the payment is made. The the you the know work now. Is done. I'm not all, sure. This is always. Concern. That's that's what they say. That the tele, telectali, the the word that he says there in Greek, is actually uh, means paid in full. That it is, I think that's uh, what they stamp on invoices when they're paid, and they say no. it's it's paid. Now it's done. It's no, finished. I, I think that's the right. Well, I, I've heard that taught th- at least. Does uh, anything strike you as because following the four corners of the story, mm-hmm. uh, the debt's paid. But it, what happens if he doesn't resurrect? Is, is do we lose anything in that? If he doesn't, because resi- from my, from you mean my do we lose anything from the from yeah. the it is finished? Part? Yeah, it is finished. Is uh, I personally don't think he's referring to him dying. Ooh, that is a very interesting question. Yeah. What well, I, if he, the I, atonement? I think I know exactly what it is, and and it will be addressed in my book, of course. Okay, good. Uh, but here is what I think it is. All right. What's finished? Well, what Jewish holiday is he doing? Passover. It's finished. Passover's over. I've been here grounded for too long. Oh, my lands. That's an interesting I'm thought. Well, because it's exactly it. The last thing that happens is, well, we'll finish it up. We'll finish when they come back. Well, well, let's go. You stay with us, folks. We're going to talk a little bit about that. What it is he's saying, it is finished on the cross. I have a thought, too. And you ask a very intriguing question. What if the atoning work were done, the payment was made, the blood is shed, but there is no resurrection? Maybe that's a good topic. It is finished. I think it cannot be just him dying. It's got to be something large. Maybe you have a thought for us, folks. 210-340-9585. We'll be right back.
Dr. Stan Shelton, with offices at Loop 410 and Broadway, has taken care of the Dollar family, that's Suzanne and me, plus our three children, for the past 25 years. Suzanne, tell the folks about our dentist. Well, like you say, Dr. Shelton is a dentist for a lifetime. He's got the latest technology. He's busy, but I've never had to wait. And I never dread going to the dentist. In fact, he and his staff are so personable that I actually rather enjoy it. Go to DrShelton.com or call 590-7878. Tim Montgomery is an Olympic gold medalist who set a world record in the 100-meter dash. But then... I got caught using steroids. I lost my records. I lost my sponsorships. Everything was gone overnight. Tim's life spiraled out of control. I was convicted of a $5 million check scheme, distribution of heroin, and convicted to eight years and 10 months. I was a cheater. I was a liar. I didn't know what to say to God. I just knew I had to go to Jesus to confess and to repent. Tim's heart was changed. After he surrendered his life to Jesus, Tim was given a second chance. Since I've been out of prison, God has allowed me to coach kids. I'm not just sharing what I have been taught on the track. I'm sharing what Christ has taught me. God can redeem your life just like he did for Tim Montgomery. Learn more at findpeacewithgod.net. From the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association. The longer we're married, the longer we're connected with someone. Sometimes the harder it is because we don't want to go there. Open, straightforward communication can sometimes be a challenge, especially when there's an issue you have to deal with. This is Focus on the Family Minute, and Dr. Mike Bechtel reflects on a child's honesty. Little kids, they're very honest about it. They'll tell you if there's an elephant in the room. Yeah. When my granddad was probably about two years old and she was just barely talking and toddling <laughs> around i'm sitting out in the patio and i weighed about 20 pounds more than i do right now oh, and no. she wandered up and she just kind of poked me in the belly and she said baby oh. <laughs> and i thought what would happen if we could find a way to do that cautiously with adults or with the rest of our family but kids are so honest they'll no. say, there's an elephant in the room yeah. what's it doing here it smells you can hear more from Mike about navigating tough issues in your family at FamilyMinute.org. Find out more about your favorite programs and the ministries on AM630 The Word by going to the program guide at am630theword.com. There, you'll get connected to the ministry website, email, and phone number. Plus, find out when your favorite show airs on the program guide at am630theword.com. This is the Bible Live with Soapy Dollar. All right, we are back. We have uh, bumped into a very intriguing topic at the end of our first segment there. Harold calling in and uh, sharing some ideas Harold and thoughts. Harold sparked an intriguing topic. Uh, he did. Harold got his going on this. And, uh, and there are a couple of questions he asked there, or uh, mm-hmm. uh, things that he said that have uh, intrigued both you and me. One is... Um, 
the whole idea of uh, <laughs> now I've forgotten it. Well, what was the topic was what was lose the question? Your, lose your life. Oh, losing your and, life. Uh, then there's the idea about it is finished. Uh, dying and, to and ourself. So, you know. And see, I and I don't think uh, it is finished as referring to him dying because. He's still coming back in three days. He's told everybody, and the story says he does it. So it's not finished. Okay. If we remember said, remember if, that if, this year is we're looking at Easter. Let's, let's well, talk let's, let's suppose Jesus on the cross. Let's is, suppose he says mm-hmm. if he's dying and it's not quite finished, he would have said, you know, it's almost finished. But he didn't say it. Then when he came back, he said, no, it's finished. But he's not addressing the death. Now, he's referring to the end of Passover. And how do we know that? Because the last couple wine is the last cup of wine. It's called Elijah's cup. And look at the Gospels, what it says. They give him this drink of vinegar, or actually mm-hmm. wine. And then somebody says, usually one of those Roman soldiers say, oh, wait, he's calling for Elijah. And the last cup, Elijah's cup, he's calling for Elijah. Elijah does not show up, so Jesus completes Passover and says it is finished. Uh, uh, I'm hoping that more and more, uh, more and more believers, uh, both uh, Christians and Jews, are really understanding what the elements are of the of the Passover event. Well, you know, thanks, Sophie. I was gonna, and I didn't mention during the break. At every Jewish home, or wherever they do Passover, mm-hmm. you always set out a cup for Elijah. Now, here's the rule. If Elijah shows up, you do not complete Passover. If he doesn't show up, then it's finished. And so uh, we see the idea is that Jesus uh-huh. here is picturing there the Passover. He is the Passover lamb. He, the sacrifice is done. Exactly. Uh, he's had the last cup of wine, uh, and Elijah hasn't shown up, and so he says it is finished. Yeah, Passover is completed. Pa- yeah. Passover is completed. And, uh, so, That's so and, and see, had Elijah just popped up there and, and said, okay, I'm here, well, you don't complete Passover. Un- Unbelievable. That's so it's so interesting because we we normally I think that we take it again at sort of face value and we go well, he's saying it's finished. I've done the ta- the task is finished. It's paid in full. We and it could be both. I'm not you know I I am assuming and we talked about this last week uh, these different views that we get you from the Hebrew background the Jewish uh, the Jewish context of the whole situation. It is a very relevant and very appropriate way to look at the scriptures. In fact. I think I find it incredibly interesting and instructive and edifying, uh, but there's not a I, there may not be a, a real conflict. I, no, I suppose I it could no, be both. No conflict. Yeah. He's he's doing it and he's saying, "Look, I've completed Passover and he'll come back in three days." But you did ask a question, and Harold, uh, I think, alluded to this is uh, an intriguing question. Is and I've and I've wondered about this before over the years. Jesus says on the cross, it is finished, even in the sense of it is finished. I've completed the task. I, my role is over. I've, I've done what I had to do. Sure. Uh, uh, it is finished. In that sense of the completed work of the Messiah, uh, his job was to come and live out a perfect life of faith and trust and obedience to the Father, walk entirely and totally by faith. All the things that we've said this many times, all the things that Jesus did on planet Earth, his sermons, his healing people, helping people, his the miracles and things that, that he performed. Uh, none of those were done in his own power, in his own authority, uh, by his own uh, uh, initiative and prerogative as God. Uh, he had to walk out his entire life as a human being in 
under the yoke of faith and trust and obedience and submission to the Father, even though, uh, as we believe, he's the eternal Son of God, co-equal with the Father. Uh, He didn't have to do that. But in order to be our Redeemer, to be our Savior, he had to walk out a perfect life of faith and trust and obedience to the Father. And then, of course, he is Peter points out, he who knew no sin becomes sin for us. And that's the whole idea of the Passover, the, the atonement, uh, even in, even the idea of Yom Kippur, the atonement lamb, the sacrifice. He purchases our redemption with his own life, and uh, the, he pays the the penalty of our sins. So that's, that, that's there. But I have always wondered, well, but the cross didn't end the redemptive plan because what would have happened? As would it herald to you to ask the question, what would have happened if he if he hadn't resurrected? If he, well, that's why I think I mentioned that. But if he, when he says it's finished, it cannot be a saying that the, the whole thing is done because he's coming back according to the four yeah. corners of the gospel. Yeah, that's when he said it's uh, finished. So it yeah. can't be finished because coming back is as at least as important as the other. Oh yes, uh, well of. Of course, Paul addresses this in his book to the Corinthians. He says, well, if, if he didn't rise from the dead, if he hasn't resurrected, then then he wasn't the Messiah. We're, of all people, uh, most miserable, he says. Well, there you go. But uh, uh, Paul brings that up. But I, it does re- have an intriguing idea of... of Do you remember if, if Jesus movie- was... Do you remember uh, uh-huh. Charlton Heston, Moses? In the sure, movie I do remember Charlton Heston. Movie. And in that movie, uh, there were people in the Jewish homes that were not Jewish. Right. So even today, the strict, I say strict tradition is that during Passover, uh, you leave your door open. So anybody that's going down the street is welcome to come in and share. Oh. Exactly what's in that movie. Wonderful. And if, uh, and indeed, if... Um, that's a strict way of doing it. Now, if uh, if Elijah shows up, then you don't complete Passover because, from the Jewish point of view, uh, we don't have to do Passover anymore because the final redemption has taken place. Exactly. Now, I'll comply that. It is finished. Passover is finished. The final redemption is taking place. So, Maybe uh, that's why Eli- it wasn't Elijah. It was Eli- you said Elijah or Elisha? No, Elijah. Okay. Actually, it's Eliyahu, but uh, Elijah in English. Yeah. Uh, That's intriguing thought about it. It's a fascinating thought. How Elijah shows up on the Mount of Transfiguration. I think he's really keeping Passover. Okay, good. Well, well, it also talks to the fact that there, even uh, in this, in the Luke... uh, in the Luke uh, Gospel, right. is that where he changes? He gives a different spin to the the Passover experience and says, "From now on, as you take this, you remember do this in remembrance of me." Yes, and it is. But now there's another interesting thought. That was a Passover. Supper. Well, it was the it was the Passover Seder, the Passover meal, mm-hmm. which occurs after sundown on after the day of preparation. So he couldn't have been killed on preparation day. Mm-hmm. Then it'd be the preparation day lamb, not the Passover. Lamb. Okay. <laughs> but uh, so he's, he can't be killed on preparation day when the lambs are killed because he can't be killed and then be at dinner that night. Mm-hmm. So that's not what he's talking about. But what he is talking about, and this to me is kind of interesting. He says, okay, we're going to do the Passover. And then during the night is when these two little, three little trials take place. Mm-hmm. So this is a, starts a sequence. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, but what's so he's really keeping Passover. You know the old line of difference between ham and eggs, right? Yes, yes, I do. do. Uh, in terms of breakfast, uh-huh. uh, the difference between ham and eggs uh-huh. is that let me see, the chicken is involved, uh-huh. but the pig is committed. Exactly so. <laughs> so in that sense, I would say Jesus was committed to Passover. That's right. He was there, and he so. did. He had his role definitively. Now, what I wanted to mentioned was that the whole it's kind of intriguing the idea that if he hadn't risen oh wait wait i want to just touch one thing okay okay now before you go there he doesn't blake says do this remembrance and in, in remembrance of me over the lamb he does it over the matzah now that's something that nobody talks hmm. about and deals with i'm the passover lamb but when he's breaking he says do this in remembrance of me and everybody does it, but if we slow it down, yeah. he's saying it. He's saying this at the matzah point, not the lamb point. Well, maybe in his view, he understands what's coming, uh, and he knows that he's well, going to continue. He's going to be that lamb. Sure. That's it. That is intriguing. Very, very interesting uh, perspective. Um, I, I, I kind of want to talk a little bit about if that, if he didn't rise, and of course, right. as I said, Paul says, it, well, it was predicted that the Messiah would not, uh, his body would not corrupt in the grave, that he would rise, that. And so the Messiah had to resurrect uh, to be for us to recognize him. But in terms of the in terms of the redemptive plan, in terms of salvation, it's a very intriguing thought because there is. I, I know there's only one salvation. There is only one salvation, but in one Redeemer, one Savior. But the, the, we do experience it in our lives, and in, in, in the Bible talks about this, about justification, uh, regeneration. But that, that's the entry point to the gospel is that we uh, die to ourselves. We're reborn. We become a new person. We, the atonement is that, that entry, the justification. Uh, justification, some people wonder, well, what does it mean that I'm justified? It means that you're, God now sees you just as if I never sinned. You know, that, that's a good way to remember it. But justification takes place. It's the idea of the atonement, forgiveness, and cleansing. But then immediately, that's not the entire redemptive plan. Immediately, we enter into uh, another aspect, another phase of our redemptive experience. Uh, since we live in history and time and so on, we, we enter immediately as God's people. Then we enter into a process of transformation where God is working to make us holy. Now, he's already positionally legally now our legal position in in the messiah in christ is that we have been declared now to be sinless and perfect and holy we are clothed in his righteousness we are forgiven and cleansed and we are we are we are holy. We are made holy by his sacrifice and by his atoning work on our, our behalf. But now we begin the process of becoming what we already are, uh, bringing that holiness and that right living down into our lifestyle, down into our daily process, into our attitudes, into our behavior, into the way we treat people and so on. So that's a process of growth in in, uh, in, in the New Testament. We call it sanctification. And that's where we get to this idea of a new life, that we're born again. Uh, because if, if Jesus had just died and not resurrected, I, it seems to me that would be connected to that that sanctifying process. Because as it, it, as it seems, and, and as we understand it now, as Paul explains it, Jesus was the first prototype 
of the new of the twice born. He was the firstborn of the twice born. He was the prototype now of the redeemed, and that he and his role of Messiah become the first became the first born again in that full sense born again believer. And what takes place with the resurrection is a new creation, a new. Well, and that's I, why Paul says we become this, new I persons. That, I don't mean this sacrilegious, sure, go ahead, but no. I always get this picture in my head of a pawn shop. Mm-hmm. Go ahead. Well, so Adam checked uh, something into the pawn shop, and Jesus redeems it, you know. <laughs> <laughs> well, that, that could be the idea, but it, it, it is interesting in, that, in the sense that Jesus, in his role of Messiah, and his identification with us, he is the, the, the last Adam. In other words, just as all of us carry the DNA and the blood of Adam in our veins, and we are we are genetically related, biologically at least, to Adam and even to the to the human race in that sense. Now, spiritually, Jesus is first of the reborn, the twice born, and he becomes the firstborn of the race of the redeemed. And each of us now, as we follow Christ and we trust in him, come into the family of God, we become born again. That's what Jesus talks about in John chapter 3, what Paul alludes to in 2 Corinthians five seventeen. If any man is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. We sometimes think of that figuratively, just kind of symbolically. But I, I, I think the whole idea is that there is a new act of creation. We, be, we have become a new person with a new instincts and new impulses, a new nature that now works within us to cause us to seek to do the right thing. We want the righteousness. We want the holiness of God. We want and desire that. And the role of the Holy Spirit now is to escort us and to supervise that transformation process all of our years. I, I started this at when I was eight years old. Jacob, when I, I began my journey with the Lord by faith, to trust Christ and begin to walk with him. And now for 60 years, God's been working on me and running, rubbing off rough edges and teaching me and correcting me and guiding me. And, of course, you can see how bad off I was by the fact that it's taking him 60 years and he's still got so much to do on me. But but that's the idea, the process of sanctification, the becoming holy. We're being delivered not just from the penalty of sin, but now as God's people, we're been being delivered from the very power of sin over our lives. And, of course, glorification is the final phase of our redemption in that we will be delivered we will be future tense be you know, delivered reminds me from the power, a, from the presence of sin sure, it reminds me of a little story mm-hmm. i had a friend because you know they use rats and bunnies and everything to test chemicals and new medicines on uh-huh. and i had a friend that actually adopted one of the bunnies that was uh Huh. That had been uh, tested. Experimented with, on, yeah. yeah huh? And uh, when they give them the drugs, you know, the, the animals, like the bunnies, they get hooked on uh, drugs. And so he had to take it, and he uh, he had to actually get it off of the drugs because it was hooked on the drugs. In fact, you might say it was the first time a habit was pulled out of a rabbit. Uh, a habit was pulled <laughs> <laughs> well, the things that go through your mind as I uh, uh, speak for, uh, profound theology. Well, I see that that uh, raised that in, in your mind. Well, um, anyway, I, I did want to talk about the Jesus, you know, his death. What happened if he didn't rise? It was all of one piece, but it is related to that idea that the, the atoning work was finished, and now the, the God raises him from the dead. That we begin, that we see this, and that's why I think it's significant too, Jacob, that that Jesus doesn't does say not only my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Which is a quote from Psalm uh, twenty-two, 
uh, which a, a, a lot of folk don't understand. It's not just the quoting of the first verse, but when, as you've told us many times, when he quoted that verse, the audience, the people that they under, they know the whole oh, sure. psalm. Like knowing the first song, and actually the psalm is a psalm of victory. It's a psalm of yeah. uh, the, there is an answer to that sure. God. Why have you forsaken me? And it's the rest of the psalm. But then he quotes Psalm uh, Psalm twenty three forty six. No, no, it's not twenty three. It's Psalm uh, thirty one. Psalm thirty one. It's in, oh, I see. It's in the book of Luke, chapter 23. He quotes another verse, and we don't really, sometimes we don't really understand it, see it as a, a, a scripture quote. He says, Father, uh, into your hands I commend my spirit. And I'm not sure, uh, I didn't know it was a quote from scripture or that it was there in, the, in Psalm 31 until actually the, the Bible live broadcast. And I read through the scripture, and one day I was reading Psalm 31, and I got, I've heard that before. Where did I hear, into your hands I commend my spirit? And it is uh, there on the cross. So uh, that that also, we see Jesus there as the prototype of the redeemed. He is, um, he is saying that he is indeed the firstborn of the redeemed, and that he, that's his step of faith. He, by faith, he's saying, I'm facing the ultimate uh, the challenge. The ultimate penalty of sin is death. And he said, I'm, I'm trusting you, God. I trust my spirit into your hands. And, and then, of course, a lot of people have said that's when Jesus is born again, that he and totally, and he, well, it's a final expression of his faith and trust and obedience to the Father, even in facing a physical death. So it's a, it's a great, great topic and theme, this whole idea of the redemptive work of Jesus, the atonement of our, for our sins, uh, the rebirth, or the recreation, the, the resurrection from the dead. Well, the, how, let's, you know, all of that is there. So that's uh, Jesus, which is supposed to be a descendant of David, right? Uh-huh, right. And uh, a king of Israel, shall we say? Right? Exactly, exactly right, uh, yes. Speaking of king of Israel, when is there any other book we're working on this evening that when the very first king was made exactly we see the first king uh, in in uh, Saul in the first uh-huh. first book of Samuel uh, and uh, we're going to talk about those opening chapters uh, Samuel is this transition person now from the uh, theocracy the the it's a non-centralized kind of a government over the tribes right. of Israel and the people ask they say we want a king we want a king what yeah. caused them to want a king was it the well they said we want a king like all the other nations all the other nations why why would they want a king Actually, it's a good it question because they've been warned by Moses and by Samuel that you don't want a king he's going to take your young people he's going to take pay your taxes he's going to raise your taxes he's going to you don't want a king but they no 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 why say, do they want a king oh, oh. To be like other nations. Oh, well, why do they want to be like other nations? They got Samuel. Uh, the answer is, it's, in, it's actually in the beginning of chapter 8. Uh-huh, okay. Samuel's boys are corrupt. Oh, that's right. They can't rely on the preachers anymore. 
Now ah, they got to have a government. I see. So you that's part of the it's dynamic. That's what Harold was talking about, I'm sad to say, about uh, it used to be a half shekel to be included. Now it's everything you got we can use. And and it does offend me. I see some of these guys, and there's one guy in particular that's on TV, and I, oh, I'd love to talk to him sometime. But uh, <laughs> he, they saw us, they want money, 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 give me money, money, money. Uh-huh. And uh, that's what's going on with Samuel's boys. The preachers are corrupt. They can't trust the prophets and the seers and the, these guys anymore. So that's part of the so dynamic. They, it, it, so, it's almost a rejection yeah. of Samuel. Right, it is. It's his boys. Of, I get it. I do. I do. I knew that his boys were corrupt and that they end up being. They end up dying. I think they they're right. killed on the same day. Uh, sure. Well, and so they say. Look, what we want is we want government. We don't want God no more. This, you know, we're getting taken mm. advantage of. Now, that's what's going on. In chapter 8, can we just read a couple of verses? Sure. Right. You got it? Yeah, it's in chapter 8. Okay. Uh, now, I'm reading to the, from the, the Hebrew translation. Okay? Uh-huh. Um, it says, that When Samuel grew old, his sons were, uh, were part of the judges over Israel, and they had done some bad things. And then down in 8, uh, verse uh, 5. They said to him, look, you are old and your sons have not followed your ways. They're corrupt, in other words. Uh, You must therefore appoint a king to rule over us like the other nations. So they're fed up with these guys that said they work for God. I see. And so they said, now we want government. Now let's apply that to America. You know, churches were supposed to provide charity. And you get charitable deductions on your taxes. Yes. But now the government's taken over providing and providing the charity. Now the people get welfare. The government has taken over the rules because it may be that you just can't control or trust the folks that say they're representing God. Exactly what's taking place here. Mm, a very so, interesting yeah, point. Well, yeah. and let, let's, let's go into a little bit about chapter 8. Uh, yes, verse yes. Seven. It says, God said to Shemuel, or that's, that's Hebrew, Samuel, uh, okay, let's obey the, your request. Uh, you Well, do, he does say, uh, okay, well, you go, you, you the verse ahead, right then. before it says, mm-hmm. Samuel was displeased with the, the fact that they said, give us a king right. because your sons are so corrupt and right. we don't want God anymore, right. we want a government. And he says, Samuel was displeased with their request and went to the Lord for guidance. And look what the Lord says, do everything they say to you, go ahead and do it, he said. For it is me they are rejecting, not you. Samuel was kind of taking this personally, evidently. He said, they don't want me to reign to be their king any longer. Ever since I brought them from Egypt, they have continually abandoned me and followed other gods. And now they are giving you the same treatment. Do as they ask, but solemnly warn them about the way a king will reign over them. And, of course, Moses had also warned them way back in the book of Genesis. Yeah, look, look, look what happened. So we got uh-huh. this, the corruption going on in the preachers. Uh-huh. Uh, and then go, why, don't you, if you, why don't you read a couple of verses starting at verse 10. So Samuel passed on the Lord's warning to the people who were asking him for a king. This is how a king will reign over you. The king will draft your sons and assign them to his chariots and his charioteers, making them run before his chariots. Some 
will be generals and captains in his army. Some will be forced to plow in his fields and harvest his crops. And some will make his weapons and chariot equipment. The king will take your daughters from you and force them to cook and bake and make perfumes for him. He will take away the best of your fields and vineyards and olive perfumes and olive groves and give them to his own officials. He will take a tenth of your grain and your groves and give them to his own officials. He will take a tenth of your, um, he will take your grape harvest and distribute among his officials and attendants, officers in attendance. He will take your uh, male and female slaves and demand the finest of your cattle, uh, your servants. And when that day and when that day comes, you will beg for relief from this king you are demanding, but the Lord will not help you. And, of course, that ends up happening uh, with with uh, Solomon's son. Uh, well, they Sol- Solomon is the one. He actually puts Israel back into slavery. Yeah, exactly. And actually, this all, whenever I read this, everything is predicted by Samuel mm-hmm. is true. Uh, because, like, even in America, when the income tax was first passed, it was 2%. Now, I always enjoy asking people, if you win $10 million in the lottery, what are your taxes going to be? And people say, oh, a third. That's not correct. But the truth is, I always enjoy it. Now, don't get me wrong. I'd love to have the problem. But if you win $10 million, you're going to pay over 62% in taxes. So I don't get me wrong. I'd love to have the problem. But, <laughs> but still, no, that's a tremendous amount of tax. Oh, sure. Uh, a few years ago, actually, when Ronald Reagan got elected. And that's just the federal tax, I guess. It probably is well, state taxes it gets and local and all you stuff. Can you're paying that if you don't get the deduction for state yeah. taxes, which yeah. Texas doesn't have. But um, but actually, when Ronald Reagan came in, the tax code actually could go up to 90%. So there's never enough money, whether it was from the corrupt boys of Samuel and the priest. The government never has enough. Never, or no. the government. They don't have enough. Well, people often say that. You know, if we have a problem in our family, and our family budget, and we get money gets tight, and we can't, well, we have to cut back. We just cut back. In a, but, but government never has to do that because it just has an unending source of funding. <laughs> it just keeps on. It's, it taxes the gift that keeps on giving, I guess. Well, well now, that's all of that's eight. a part so of So he starts giving all this corruption. So you got this corruption of the boys. Okay. And then you got the government that's predicted they'll become very self-serving and make uh-huh. you work, and you'll work for them. Mm-hmm. After that, in Chapter 9, is where we start seeing the term seer go away and profits start coming in. Now, Was that part of this whole process of lack of faith and trust then in, in Samuel and in the, in the prophets in the spiritual realm and, and moving over to more secular understanding? or Well... Uh, kind of, yes, because a seer, because first of all, we just got warned. Why don't you keep it, and we'll tease the okay. folks with it. Stay with us, folks. Jacob is going to help us see what is the difference between a seer and, and a prophet. it occurs right after what the, the bad preachers are doing, taking advantage. And they said they want a king, and they're warned that the king's going to do worse. He's going to do the same thing. Okay. And then the next chapter, we learn some differences between seer and Three four zero three four zero ninety five eighty five. We'll be right back. Got the time and I'm wasting it slowly. In this moment, I'm halfway out the door. On to the next thing. I'm searching for something that's You're listening to The Bible Live with Soapy Dollar. Well, it's alive, but I'm sure there's got to be more. 
to be more. Thanks for joining with us, folks. This is the last segment of the Bible Live broadcast for this evening, but we still have got 30 good minutes. You can give us a call and be a part of the program if you'd like, 210-340-9585. We've finished up our consideration and thoughts about the Gospel of Luke this evening, and now we've been talking about this transitional character named Samuel who comes in on uh, as... Uh, he, 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 kind of a very unusual beginning of a couple that could not have children. They were Levites, and then they uh, Eli sees Hannah praying and thinks that she's drunk, and she says, "No, no, I'm not drunk. I, I'm I'm just passionate. I'm I asking for a child." And so he he assures her that God has heard her prayer, that she is going to have a child, and that uh, then uh, she promises that if I if you give me a child, I will give him over to your service and. Are we talking there about the Nazarite vow? Yeah. Uh, a special vow of service to God. And so Samuel is given over to the Lord uh, at a young age. At the time he is being weaned, when he is being weaned, he then is passed to Eli to begin to serve there in the tabernacle. And uh, then we have him growing up in Eli's, uh, I, I suppose, at some level with Eli's family. Uh, but you've given us, you've introduced into this complication of Eli's sons, his oldest sons, were very wicked, were very corrupt. They were very greedy, they were money, 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 and, and immorality, sexual immorality. And uh, this part of the dynamic that makes the people of Israel lose confidence in the seers, in, in the spiritual solution and guidance, and they want a king like everyone else because uh and part of the dynamic is is the failure of Eli's children to to, kids. to walk yeah. with God sin yeah his yeah. sons and so so, so go for, how, why continue would that for, have some bearing cuz right after that and the way the chapters are numbered now we go into chapter 9 we just finished what Samuel says is going to happen with a king and you were going to explain well, I'm going to have the you time of the seer to the time well, of the take prophet. Take a look at us. Look at uh-huh. nine nine. Oh, chapter nine. Okay, I'm there. Chapter nine, verse nine says, uh, "Well, the servant said, I have one small. Let me see, uh, uh, small silver piece. We can at least offer it to the man of God. So he's get, uh, trying to give money to what? Eli or Samuel? No, no, no. Or? What, what, what are you reading? First Samuel nine nine. Is that what you says? It says, well, the servant said, I have one small piece of silver. We can at least offer it to the man of God and see what happens. Huh. In those days, if people wanted a message from God, they would say, let's go ask the seer. Okay, so you got prophets, okay. prophets used to be called seers. All right. Oh, well, okay, because yours is written backwards of mine, but that's fine. Same idea. Okay. So you got a seer. Now they inquire of God, but what has just taken place? You got, uh, as you said, the dynamic of Samuel's boys are corrupt. People can't rely on the preachers anymore now. And but so the nation says, "I and God says they're abandoning me. They're going after other gods." So now is the transition in the first book of Samuel is where we leave seers and start going to prophets. So what was the difference between a seer, a seer and a prophet? was a person that would actually be able, look what they're saying, to say, let's go ask the seer. Basically asking, where are our donkeys? So he had the ability to actually communicate, you might say, with God. A vision, if you like. Uh, receive messages, that kind of thing. And, but wow. the nation was leaving God 
And the, and so there'll be no more seers. That's why it says in nine nine. In those days, they were called seers. Well, up above that, the they've lost. The, the story behind the story here is that uh, Saul, who is uh, from the tribe of Benjamin, uh, that tribe that was almost eradicated, right? Yeah. Uh, earlier on, later on, uh, or later on. Okay, and so Saul is out looking for some lost uh, donkeys Donkey. from his family's uh, uh, herd. And he, they've lost them, and so they come near this town where the prophet lives, where Samuel lives, and it says, there's a man of God who lives here. He is held in high honor by all the people because everything he says comes true, which is interesting in relationship to that other thing. How do you know a true prophet from a... Well, that's... Uh, remember, that every, everything comes true. Go find him. Perhaps he can tell you which way to go to find the donkeys. And so that's how they get into this thing. So you and, see, and he goes the and, seers, when the nation was holy uh-huh. and only had their, pro- their, not their prophets, but their seers, and they followed God and his God, uh-huh. there was a communication going on. These people could, uh, that we were being told that there's a, they can see stuff, they can envision, they get messages. But as the nation abandons God, we go from the seer who can see things down to the lower level of just a prophet. Uh-huh. Now, uh, I know this may be a little bit of a wrinkle for some folks, but mm-hmm. the prophets only, they, they don't receive messages from God. They receive messages from the book. Prophets are like preachers. Mm-hmm. They look at what's in the Bible. It's not, that, it's not like new revelation. They, they, well, they... <clears throat> they, uh, that threw me off when you said new, because it can never be new. Uh-huh. But uh, but the pro- but finding a donkey, the guy could say, "Well, God, I need some vision on this. Where where is the donkey?" <clears throat> now the one funny thing is that this kind of shows us right away that you're going to use a seer to, to find, find a donkey. A donkey. Yeah. That's, so that's that, already that, setting up a dynamic. Rather trivial, I so guess, right? A seer could do it, but as the nation deteriorates <laughs> from being more holy. They uh, left with the Bible, and only not a person that really can see into the Bible, but a person that can read it and perhaps get enlightenment from the Bible, a prophet. Not not to... Prophets, it's as important, because today, when people say they're prophets, they're really not biblically saying it correctly. A prophet only, only knows what's in the Bible. If a person's saying, I'm getting these messages and God's talking to me, they're trying to say, I'm like a seer. A seer. Uh-huh. And, and that's not correct at all. And the run, like, and run like crazy. No, in <laughs> fact, in, in when you read the Torah, you read a section of the Torah, and then you'll read a portion of the prophet that goes with it. It'll illustrate the point that you just read in the Torah. And it'll either say, when you did this, this portion of the prophet went well. When you didn't do it, you get the portion of the prophet that says, well, you didn't follow it, so this portion of the prophets that didn't go well. So what you're doing is the examples that was given in the Torah. Now, that's a prophet. It's not a person that's getting these magic visions. Well, that, but that to me doesn't, I don't think it downgrades or uh, takes away from the power and the beauty and the glory and the majesty of the scriptures. All those verbs are lovely, but the Bible is telling us that these guys have abandoned God. So Uh we're going to switch from being seers to just prophets. So no matter what lovely verbs we're using, it's giving us a message that there's something, the prophet is something different yeah. than a seer. Well, actually, they're adjectives. But the, but even before that happened, 
God tells Joshua, do not let this book of the I law depart from your mouth. Actually. <laughs> don't let this book of the law depart from your mouth, but meditate on it day and night. Sure. So, the, so, so you, the scriptures are, are a powerful, wonderful gift that God has get, given yes, us. Yes, you yeah. can get it. But the truth is, anytime, mm-hmm. how it works, in the, even in, in the book of Luke, since we're talking Luke, in the book of Luke, in the beginning, mm-hmm. remember it says Jesus in chapter 6, I think it is, he opens up and he says he finds the place where it says. Yes, uh-huh. All right. Now, what he's reading is a portion of Isaiah, a prophet. Uh-huh. So if you know every portion of the book of prophets is a is a sort of a case study of a, the law. What are of, the principles from the law? From yes. the so if you read Torah. something in the law, you get it. You want to see how it works, how it's applied? You can read that but matching portion of the prophet. And it shows if you did what it said, Look how well it went. But if you did not do it, look how bad it went. So that's what's going on, and that's all that is. Hmm. It has really nothing to do with a person that's able to commune with God, you might say, and locate donkeys. Uh-huh, uh-huh. And even uh, even the great, uh, pro- I guess he'd be called a prophet, even Daniel, that Daniel we think of Dan- as kind of a Daniel, seer because he had visions and dreams, interpreted well, dreams Daniel and all. Was a uh, was a prophet, no doubt. But everything that Daniel knows, he it comes from the Torah. In fact, uh, let's see, what's the one example? Um, well, they ask him, what was, well, well, let me see. He asked him to interpret that dream uh, uh, well, several times. Let's say the one the writing on the wall. Right. But see, How re- about that he can one? read it. Oh, okay. Well, there it is. It's written. But, uh, but, but the, yeah, the point is, even when he says. But he, he told him what it meant. He did. You've been judged and found unworthy. But it wasn't God telling him. I see. So the point is, this story is kind of telling us, look, the first thing they said that we don't want your priest anymore, and God says it's me, they're kicking loose. Not you, yeah. And so uh, we want a king. We want the government because we can't seem to trust the priest anymore, you know. And so, we, and so now suddenly we're being told, well, they're coming down from a seer to a prophet. Now, I know that's something hmm. that doesn't get talked much about because everybody thinks prophet. Do you know what prophet really means in Hebrew? It's a navim. It's a... The navim. Teacher, preacher. Well, it's actually, it means, uh, actually, it says uh, it's actually the fruit of the lips. In, hmm. in other words, you're kind of... A talker? <laughs> a talker. Uh, a preacher. But it's um, but you're not really getting something like where's the donkey? Like I couldn't go to a prophet and say, prophet, where's my donkeys? But a seer, I could. But prophets, there was a part of their ministry, Samuel, and it's good we're talking about it because this is a transition from the time of the priest to the prophets, and a time from the uh, theocracy to the uh, to a, a monarchy uh, to the kings. A prophet did <clears throat> often. Tell future events. Did he? Where's that? Well, I thought they did. Well, I thought that was. The I'm, mo- not, I'm not disagreeing with you, but I'd like you to tell me where that's. Uh, at. Oh gosh, I, you, you I don't me know on the that spot. they tell future events. I think they read the Torah, and it says this is what's going to happen, because this is what the Torah says. If you follow God's laws, this is going to happen. Well, do you remember when? Uh, but if you don't follow it, the other's going to happen. Which king? Which which uh, was? Who was it? Was it was it Isaiah, who told this king? Uh, 
um, shoot this arrow and you know how many how many years he's going to be uh, how more years of life he's been given or how the kingdom is going to go and and he kind of they predict uh, who's going to win this battle or that battle isn't that that's based degree? on do they keep God's laws or not and uh, usually you'll see that they're saying you're not being righteous you're not keeping God's laws therefore you're going to lose this battle. Okay. It's fairly simple. Anyway, okay. Uh, here's so, but it's telling us something that wants us to know that after they go into this degradation of leaving uh, the God and going to the government, you're entitled to prophets now, who can help you understand the text. Well, we've got in these first chapters, we've got just a few minutes left. What do you make of this? Um, of course, Eli. Uh, uh, eventually, Eli dies. Uh, he. Um, he dies at the time that. Uh, well, this is, wait before you do that. Here's okay. something I really wanted to get to. Uh huh. Now look at you've been talking about uh, Passover, Messiah, Jesus, all that business. He's a king, a descendant of David. Uh huh. Uh huh. Now stop and think a minute. What is this? What's really going on? It's interesting. You pick. You always do this. You pick like uh, something that matches up well because you pick Luke and we're talking about Messiah. Uh huh. Descendant of David, a king, and uh, and here in the book of Samuel, we're being told that the selecting a king was the rejection of God. Uh-huh. Now, how how do you work that one out? <laughs> God's anointed. Uh, I suppose yeah. that uh, he is uh, God's God's anointed king, right? Uh, that he's going yeah, to send a... Is there a prediction had, that he's going to send a righteous these king? people had never, ever, ever asked to get rid of the prophets or the seers mm-hmm. and uh, and uh, rejecting God's priest. And they had just kept that. We would have no kings ever picked. Then would there be a Messiah? Hmm. Okay. Well, I'm asking well, you. Well, not with that. <laughs> you asked me a tough question, I think, but uh, not with... with I, 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 I'm guessing maybe would have a Messiah, but he wouldn't have that element of his character, of his trait. Uh, uh, that would not be a part of what he is there. He would be fulfilling. But in this case, he is, he does. We're told by the prophets themselves that you, God has a righteous branch, a righteous well, king. let's take a look and see send. if this, we can find some kind of answer in the text itself. Let's do that. Uh, look at chapter 10. Uh-huh. And uh, and now, in chapter 10, um, let's go down to, uh, let's see, verse uh, 11. Mm -hmm. Uh, Do you want to read that? Sure. When those who knew Saul heard about it, uh, Saul had preached. uh, The Spirit of God came on him, and he began to prophesy. When those who knew Saul heard about it, they exclaimed, What? Is even Saul a prophet? How did the son of Kish become a prophet? Now, what in the world is that telling us? We've been talking about going from a seer to a prophet. Uh Saul was not a seer. But now they're saying, is he a prophet? What's really going on here? What they're saying is, look, this is no longer something that's passed down in the priesthood. Mm -hmm. Not family to family and genetic. They're saying, uh, is Saul then? Uh, who was his father? Is he a prophet? 
So they're saying it's now. It's just these whoever shows up and starts saying it from the government or whoever. And so the, if you were look real close to what they're saying, it's, and the, say, the saying that was a very famous saying at one time was, uh, well, is Saul then among the prophets? And who is his father? Because they're saying, so he has no lineage of being a priest or seer or even a prophet. But he just shows up because he's got the power. Now he's a prophet. So this wow. is going this is going down further and further and further. And so it's, it's making it, the distinction that this king <laughs> thinks he's a prophet. And who's his father? Your father wasn't a prophet. You're not the son of uh, David. You're certainly, because it comes later, uh-huh. or you're not the, the son well, of isn't Samuel. That, isn't that what ultimately, part ultimately of what uh, proves to be uh Saul's downfall is that uh, he doesn't wait well, on the he prophet. He disobeys God's laws th- yeah. throughout the whole thing. Yeah. So could he have been a prophet? He didn't wait on the prophet. He offered the sacrifice, remember? The, he, he did. And, and but so, the point is, they're saying, so who is his father? They're making the distinction between, this guy's not from the lineage of seers or prophets. Uh-huh, uh-huh. He's just got a king. But he says he's, the, he's also a prophet. And uh, so when it says, who is his father? The meaning of asking that question is, does he come from the line of seers or prophets or Levites? But it does say that the Spirit of God came powerfully upon him, uh-huh. and he too began to prophesy, or yes. I suppose that means preach uh, or proclaim uh, things. It, it, it says, uh, so God is God in this? God came upon him, and what's the first thing he does? Begins to preach well, and prophesy. He, he, he starts making sacrifices, uh-huh, and uh-huh. Uh, he's not supposed to do that. In fact, you know, Samuel comes along and says, hey, what did you do? And then the next yeah. thing he does when, he, when Samuel dies, we know he goes to see the witch of Endor. Uh-huh. You know where that, you know what TV show used that, right? Is that Bewitched? Bewitched, yeah. The, okay. Endora. Endora. Oh, yeah, that's right. Uh, and so he starts doing all this stuff. He's not committed to a God in any way. He's not from a family of the seers or the prophets. He has the spirit of God can come on him, but he can he just refuses. Yeah. That's the problem with Saul is that he never he he had no under he really had no understanding of God's unique calling on the people of Israel. He had no unique understanding of their being uh, a covenant people and so on. He was just totally out of sync with who uh, who they were. They were just another nation i guess to him he he had no understanding of the covenant you know god's people the well, torah the, yeah, keeping samuel's, god's commands yeah, samuel's prophecy if you will uh about what a king will do in chapter 8 starts taking shape in saul and so, yeah. yeah in saul and then of course david comes along but what i'm always fascinated about is this if these people hadn't rejected the leaders and the prophets yeah. there wouldn't be a kingship and then if the, there would not be a David. Would there be a descendant of David it, to be the Messiah? To be the Messiah, yeah. So, well, I, I assume it could have took it, taken a, maybe a different path. But on the other hand, it, you see very clearly this is all, even Moses saw this progression. He he told them about what would happen if they didn't do this exactly, and didn't do that. Exactly, in, would... in the Torah. And that's exactly, he says, let me tell you what's going to happen. So he's not saying that this may happen. He says, when you do this, you violate God's laws. This is what's going to happen. And I know what's going to happen because you're going to violate God's laws after you made an agreement, you made a deal. 
and I'm yeah. going to and I'm going to have to send a redeemer. So I'm going to have always, to. <laughs> you can always find everything that's going on in the entire Bible, actually, in the Torah. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Oh yeah, I, I I I do understand and see that. I, I and that's part of what I think is just so amazing and there is about this book. one thing we should touch on before we should touch on gun control. Oh, is it? Uh, we have a little gun control going on in the book of Samuel here, uh, don't in, we? In, uh, in uh, chapter 13. Oh, yes. Um, I remember that. I, I remember this because I actually, this is very historically accurate. Uh, the Hittites, right? There well, was a, a group of people. Yeah, it was, a, it was different groups. They, had, they knew how to make iron. Uh, but then they said, but then uh, the uh, Saul, uh-huh. uh, he, Shaul, he wanted to uh, make swords out of iron because those were like guns. Uh-huh. Well, the bad guys, the Philistines, the uh, Hittites, uh-huh. everybody wanted to keep uh-huh. the Jews from having iron. And so they they owned, they they even said in verse uh, let's see thirteen nineteen mm-hmm. the, not a smith could be found in the whole land of Israel for the Philistines were afraid that the Hebrews might make a sword or a spear all Israel had to go down to the uh, Philistines so that each one could have his plowshare matak axe and plowpin sharpened to sharpen their plowshares so and picks and axes they wouldn't allow axes. them to have iron mm-hmm. because they knew. If they have iron, they have weapons equal to the, the arch enemy, the Philistines, and mm-hmm. again, of course the Hittites. So iron was a way of saying, we have guns, but you can't. <laughs> that was a way to keep them in bondage for sure. Exactly. Don't let them arm themselves. <laughs> they so they got to have wood plows and that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So it's fascinating. It uh, is. Right there from the very beginning. It's said to us that, you know, the way you control people is don't let them be equal to you with their weapons. Take away their means of uh, protecting themselves so that they cannot uh, Isn't that fascinating? Them. Oh, it is. Uh, it's all there. The old, the old book is, uh, speaks to everything. If we would just pay some attention to it, a great, great, great wisdom and experience. And, and we can we can see it right here in the scriptures. Well, uh, there, there's a lot of stories. That's one of the little details. There's a lot of things that we've skipped over, but eventually Saul and his sons are, are killed. He he persecutes and, uh, and pursues David. <laughs> David is uh, Samuel, uh, actually uh, anoints David to be king, uh, replacing Saul. But it's kind of a secret thing. It's not a big public thing. And uh, <laughs> But Saul is killed in a, in a battle with the Philistines. His sons are killed. Eli dies. His son, uh, his son's. Uh, die as well. They're killed in battle on the same day as was prophesied. Well, and remember Saul, uh, yeah, Saul, Shaul, or Saul, uh-huh. he uh, he starts assuming the role of not, of, uh, not just a prophet, let's ever say, but he's also the acting priest. like a priest, because look in chapter 13. I know we're supposed to actually go up to 14, so look at tonight anyway. Uh-huh. Look at 13, 13. Uh, you yeah. got that? You want to read that? Or? Yeah, he is, uh, he's a Supposed to wait? Is this where he's supposed to wait on? Uh, yeah, he's supposed to wait, and but he goes ahead and he starts making the animal sacrifices <laughs> that only the priest was supposed. Samuel to. says, "How foolish! You have not kept the command the Lord your God gave you. Had you kept it, the Lord would have established your kingdom over Israel forever. But now your kingdom must end, for the Lord has sought a ma- out a man after His own heart. The Lord has already appointed him to be the leader of His people, because you have not kept the Lord's commands." So mm. he's acting, he, he's really a corrupt government official. <laughs> he's taking over the functions 
of all of the priests even. So he said, well, I couldn't wait, so I went ahead and did the sacrifice myself. Logically, we would think, well, that seems reasonable. I mean, you know, as the priest isn't around, maybe I should go ahead and do it. But if God said the rule is you don't do it, and he doesn't. And then Samuel shows up and says, you know, you have violated the laws. Was this anything to do this separation of... You know, kingly governmental power from spiritual power. Was that anything to do with what we would call separation of church and state? Or is that? Oh, uh, yeah. I, that's the way I read this. Yeah, I think that's right on the money. What what, what was going on here that the the, the king would. Uh, but it's interesting, though. But in, in, in uh, Hebrews, in the book of Hebrews in the New Testament, then the Messiah becomes both king, prophet and priest. Yeah, uh, that he is—he is our high priest now. He is our king. He is our so he fulfills all of these roles ultimately in uh, uh, in, in God's economy. God's the, the view that we get from the scriptures. You have a word for everybody tonight. I do. Uh, always be the kind of person you would like to have for a parent. Thanks for being with us, folks. We'll see you next Sunday night here on the Bible Live. Good night. The Bible Live is dedicated to helping restore the Bible to our culture and is brought to you by Crew Military Ministry. Mailing address is P.O. Box 18888. That's Box 18888. San Antonio, Texas 78218. Hear the entire Bible every year on The Bible Live, weeknights at 930 on this great station. Then join Soapy every Sunday evening at 9 o'clock for fun, inspiration, and valuable prizes on the, the Bible, Bible Live Quiz Show. Show. Visit our website, BibleLive.com. That's BibleLive.com for more information about Soapy and the Bible Live broadcast. You may also order materials at the website and make tax-deductible donations to help crew military minister to our military personnel and broadcast the entire Bible every year to America and the world. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.